Hey guys, and welcome to episode four. Four episode four of Stir the Pot. That's episode four of Stir the Pot, a podcast all about food and the people that love it. After a couple of weeks on the road, I'm back in a cold and wet London. Summer is definitely over. Um, it's time for duvet days, comfort food, and box set binging. On today's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Rosie Burkett, a food stylist and writer based in East London, whose most recent book was about East London food, and is a really beautiful snapshot of the area. It kind of shows you the food throughout its history, from its start of kind of jellied eels, all the way through to kind of the uh, revival it's having today. And it was a wonderful book in collaboration with photographer Helen Cathcart. Um, thank you again for downloading the episode and for subscribing. It means a lot to me and I'm really happy that you seem to be enjoying the podcast. If you can help me share that around, that would be amazing. Give it a tweet. Um, follow me on Twitter at the Boy Who Bakes and give it a review on iTunes. That would be amazing. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. I should say that today I have a awful cold and I sound like I've woken up from the dead, uh, so apologies for that. But today I am joined by food writer and food stylist Rosie Burkett. Hello. And I always sound like an idiot when I say names because I go up <laughs> with an open inflection. Uh, so Rosie has written, well, technically two under your own name, but you've also written yes. uh, a book on, I always forget the London book's name. Jame, Jame London. Jame London, that's yeah. it, yeah. Uh, which was with Alan DeCast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the two books that most people will know you for are your own. Yeah. So, um, uh, East London Food, which is the recent one, mm-hmm. and the first one, I can't remember its name. A Lot on Her Plate. A Lot on Her Plate, that's it. I was reading it last night, did my research. <laughs> um, and that came out how many years ago now? Uh, last year. That was just last year? Yeah, last April. Wow, yeah. that seems like a lot longer ago now. Yeah, it's, I think uh, we, we moved so quickly with cookbooks don't we there's like a different cookbook every week yeah I do think the amount of cookbooks that come out um, I have two new ones today not not me I didn't write two books for today um, yeah but every Thursday is a new book so as you might be able to tell something went slightly wrong with the audio there and um, don't worry it was only a minute or so and it was just silly talking about cookbooks Um the one thing you do miss is the first question but as per usual it is our regular First question, which is, how did food become such an important part of your life? Okay, well, basically from the word go, food's been been there. Um, I, the way I was brought up was very food-centric, so I, I don't think I realised it at the time, but my parents were quite... It sounds like they were a bit sort of... Um, uh, what's that? show where they go back to nature like oh the one where they have the um this is the good life yeah the good life the, it sounds yeah exactly yeah. it sounds a bit good life when you describe it but they we had we grew our own vegetables yeah. well, i say we my dad <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't really i used to crouch next to him playing with the toad who lived under the flower pot but um my, yeah my dad grew loads and loads of vegetables it was like his release because he was a news journalist and uh, in Fleet Street when Fleet Street still existed <laughs> and he used to work really long hours and be very stressed and then he'd come and be in his 
in his greenhouse yeah, and in his vegetable patch. And so we had, you know, runner beans, strawberries, nice. broad beans, onions, leeks, asparagus, everything. Yeah. He grew it all. And um, my mum was a very good cook. Yeah. It's, is a very good cook. And um, she used to cook, cook it all. And we had like cherry trees and plum trees and pear trees and apple trees. <laughs> it really does sound like that. It, it, it was idyllic. Like I grew up in Kent. Yeah. And while I sometimes think it, my life would have been a bit easier if my parents had stayed in London and sure. brought me up here um, you know I'm so pleased that they didn't because growing up rambling around picking yeah. cob nuts and mushrooms and fishing for trout in the river <laughs> and all of this stuff and it sounds like a novel it was it was like amazing. An, almost like famous five it, yeah it was you. very <laughs> Enid Blyton and I was very lucky very very lucky indeed to have that experience so Thanks. food was always something that um that was a part of the family life and because my dad worked late and came home we would eat together at about eight o'clock and we always I mean not when we were very little children sure. but as we got a bit older we would always have dinner together and we as a matter of course had Sunday lunch every Sunday yeah. was family Sunday lunch like whatever the weather so even if it was a 32 degree heat wave my mum would be my mum would be in the kitchen <clears throat> making gravy <laughs> every single Sunday and we'd often have like our grand and our uncle who wasn't really an uncle but you know yeah. like all the family extended friends. family yeah. come would come and it would be like a very long lunch to the point where you know it would start at one o'clock and finish at seven nice and there would be a lot of alcohol consumed that's the best type of yeah. lunch long long lazy lunches long lazy lunches it always feels like on holiday to me when you have one of those very just kind of blends into the next thing yeah. where it's just about chat and family and friends and and lots of stuff. arguments <laughs> yeah it's always about politics yeah different yeah. parts of the family family do. politics yeah. and general yes. politics <laughs> yeah. um and fighting over me and my sister fighting over who gets the last potato oh yeah me and my twin brother always <laughs> i think we probably still would we used to fight over which glass to use we were yeah petty. yeah pathetic. That, that's my glass yeah exactly that one's bigger yeah, no, all of that stuff, and um, and we also used to go camping. Nice. So every holiday was a camping holiday yeah. when I was growing up, and it was always we had this amazing contraption called the TARDIS. <laughs> Speaking of Doctor mm -hmm. Who. Um, which was a cross between a trailer tent and a caravan. It was basically a trailer that you that, that used to crank oh, up. The thing that kind of expands, expands. out of it. Yeah, one of our yeah. neighbours used to have one. Yeah. I used to be fascinated it, by it. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And, and I can't believe they got rid of it. I was heartbroken. I was gen generally assaulted when they got rid of it. I, wow. was, I was so wounded by it. But yeah, we, we grew up using this thing. Every summer it would come out. It would have it was this big long process of having to be aired out. Yeah. Um, because out. it was all canvas. Yeah. The bits that came out were all canvas. So we used to go off in this well, we'd go off in the car towing this contraption behind us and we'd go around France and Spain wow. camping. Nice. Um just every every single year. So there was a lot of um stopping at little French brasseries and eating all of the fruit de mer, all of the yep. seafood, steak frites, all of the salads, and then in Spain, all of that sort of... I remember eating a lot of omelettes in Spain. Yes, always omelettes Always omelettes, and they always, always taste better in Spain. And I, I think everything tastes better when you're on holiday. Yeah, but yeah, so we, so we did a lot of um, travelling and eating, so I was quite adventurous and lucky to have that experience as well. Yeah. So always really, really a part of my life, a big part of my life, but I didn't realise it because I just sure. grew up in that. Yeah, I think it sounds 
very similar to kind of my story. I mean, we didn't grow our own food. I mean, we had blackberries and raspberries. That's mm. as far as we got. We didn't actually grow them. We just happened to be on the end of our garden. But I think we have very similar kind of childhoods around food. And I think it's almost cliched, and I have the same thing. Um, it's kind of like the cliched food story, uh, food writer backstory of mm. taking a lot of influence from your mum. Yeah. And that's how you got started in cooking. Yeah. What sort of thing did you cook when you were younger? Oh, gosh. Um, so a lot of, as I said, lots of roasts. But then, so casseroles. Um, what were my favourite things? She does the most amazing spag bowl. Nice. I mean, everyone thinks I think everyone's mum has a... But my mum really is, it is just absolutely amazing. Um, lots of casseroles, kind of English yeah. home cooking. Um, pot roasting things... Um, kind of like simple humble fare, but humble, just utterly delicious. But but always cooked from scratch and um, things like lamb. She used to do this amazing lamb with pickled walnut dish, which I actually have the recipe for and have attempted, and I can't get it quite as good as her. Um, no, sorry, it's beef and pickled walnut, which nice. was amazing. Um, and then she used to do things like chicken curry, nice. and I always remember her chicken curry was delicious. But she did she used to slice a banana on top of it, which sounds awful, but I'm, like, I can't, I'm telling you, it's so good. So flaked almond, toasted flaked almonds. Oh, I, I could picture almost, it like, I mean, almost with like coronation chicken style, but yeah, sort of raisins. But and... it was so good. I mean, wow. it sounds like a trifle. <laughs> it, sounds but awful. it was so so good. And I think every mum has that odd dish. Yeah. My best friend talking about spaghetti my best friend's mum has a version of spaghetti bolognese. It sounds terrible, but there's a level of comfort to it. Basically, it's mince mm-hmm. with uh, cooked up with a few dried herbs and some tomato puree. And then there's no tomatoes to it. The sauce is a tin of oxtail soup. It sounds awful. No, that sounds but it's good. It's so meaty and savoury. No, that sounds uh, amazing. Whenever he's ill, he always craves it, and yeah. now whenever I'm ill, I'm like, can I have that? Because well, it's just utterly, that, it's like bad, it's not Italian in any way. No, but, but that's just reminded me of one thing that my mum used to do for us as kids all the time. It was called mince and mash. So that sounds great. It was, and it was very much like that. It was basically mince, and I don't, I need to ask her actually how she would cook it in this way that it was so, ri- like, have you ever had the quality chop house mince? mince dish like mince on dripping toast you have to go and they have this dish with mince and it reminds me so much of this that my mum did it was mince and we'd have it with mashed potato and that was it but it was so good yeah mashed potatoes give me them anytime and I'm a happy person and I'm not even talking proper mashed potato Ed I'm talking smash smash which is basically is it just powdered potato flakes it's powdered you add water potato that you add hot water to I don't think I've ever had it I have to say I know this is going to sound sacrilegious, but it's Not it's all. good. Well, yeah, because it's, it'll be incredibly smooth, yeah. which is what you want from mash, and it'll be light. If you put enough butter in it, yeah. trust me, and enough butter and black pepper, anything, it's delicious. Yeah, I do think mash... I, I, I've never had that mash where it's 50% butter, and then no, you, you I know, that thing where it basically falls. Not but it quite. needs to have It needs to a have a good, to it. a good slick of butter going So in uh, my family, my mum was the cook. Mm-hmm. She cooked all the time. And my dad had like a couple of meals, which exactly. is the same. Yeah. What did he so cook? He had signature dishes. Yeah. My dad still cooks them. He's been cooking them for like 15 oh, years. And I love them. Really? I go home and my dad will say, do you want Thai curry? And yeah. it's basically Delia's just kind of yeah. done a bit differently. It's not Thai at all, but it's delicious. Yeah, totally. So my dad was exactly the same. Just had 
dishes that he would bust out that he was fixated on and yeah. he would do them again and again and again and each time improve them and he had um the seafood sizzle which <laughs> nice. was his thing that sounds like a dad thing yeah such a dad thing and he would spend ages doing all the mise en place yeah. prepping all of the chopped yeah. stuff and getting it all ready spend absolutely ages on it um and then his another one he did was dressing crab so oh, nice. he used to go to the fishmonger and get big crabs and cook them and then dress them and spend hours. He would spread the kitchen table with newspaper um, and he would have a gin and tonic on the go, a cigarette, and he would just spend a lot of time mining the crab for all of this meat. And I would just sit there watching him and trying to like eat the crab meat as he was doing it and getting told off. Um, And then he also used to make, he used to make um, this thing with, with eggs basically eggs smoked haddock and spinach okay. um sort of baked together with nice. milk um which was really delicious and what else so he's not on adventures then he has you yeah know. He, he 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 was yeah he was definitely he used to cook pheasant wow and one day there was this awful disaster he basically got this pheasant and he was so excited because he loved pheasant and and it was too high. It was it was ah. it was pretty much rotting, and he decided to make because it was a bit on the funky. high side. <laughs> yeah, it was like funkier than the Bee Gees. <laughs> um, he decided to make pheasant soup, and it because it was putrefied pheasant, oh. it didn't work, and it just no. it basically fumigated the entire house. So the house stank of rancid pheasant for weeks for like for weeks yeah. it was this really clingy smell and oh. um, we'd all tried to eat the soup and we were all just defeated by it and we were like in the end we ended up laughing about it and being like oh my god dad don't yeah. do another pheasant dad's soup dad's never cooked pheasant since <laughs> no so from having that childhood what did you want to do as a job like did you think food would be your career I found it really difficult to know what I wanted to do and I still I'm still there like I I, I think there's so much pressure when you're a kid to suddenly make a decision and if you're not if you're not particularly kind of academic or if you don't know that you want to be a doctor or you don't have a vocational thing that you want to do and I was very much always the creative so I was like all through childhood I would be on the carpet making something so the whole family would be watching telly and I could never just sit there and watch telly I had to be watching telly and making a bag or some badges or you know something I was constantly drawing and making stuff so I then found it quite hard to know how I wanted to channel that because I went to a very academic school where it was all about the academic and not really about the creative and it was like you will go to university you will go to a red brick university and you will get a a good degree in something that's not considered a mickey mouse degree because i wanted to go to nottingham trent and do media and i wanted to go to drama (laughs) school the the, the main mickey mouse one because it's nothing everyone was like no go to a good uni get a good degree and so i did english literature at leeds uni which was really really hard for me because it was very difficult to get in on that course first of all I had to really push myself throughout my A-levels and then um, which is a good thing Um, and then I did it and it was it was very like I really enjoyed it but it was incredibly academic so I was reading reading three books a week 
and everyone else was having a bit of a party and I was like why do I have to sit in my room reading three books a week but I'm really pleased I did it yeah how did you find Leeds I mean I'm from Bradford which is next door so I know Leeds half my family's from there my grandfather went to Leeds University my mum was born in Doncaster to two parents from Doncaster so I'm I'm half Yorkshire basically (laughs) Um, the good side of the county yeah Um, so my granddad uh, who was an incredible man um, went to Leeds University and studied classics during the war so he was also in the war Um, so he he basically went to university and then went off fought in the second world war won a um, not a Victoria Cross won a military cross for bravery and then came back and finished his degree and he was the first person in his family to you know go to university Um, so I felt that connection to Leeds sure. and I also really loved it when I went up there I my sister had gone to Newcastle and I sort of wanted to follow her lead in not kind of staying near yeah, home yeah, yeah, sure um, and I just felt fancied going somewhere different and I went up to Leeds loved and loved the university and it's a good university town really food's got a lot better in the last few years it wasn't oh my great gosh, probably was when you nothing, were there nothing no. no it was a bit of a wasteland it was pretty bad you could have gone to Bradford for a very good curry I did yeah, yeah. the best thing about Bradford in my opinion copious amounts of like I grew up with curry all around me so I find curry in London really bad oh yeah I mean there is good places but generally it's like mm, not yeah, so good no definitely yeah. and weirdly I sort of did come to food writing in Leeds no, actually because I so I went to Leeds and studied English and then while I was there in my final year which is when I really started to come into my own in terms of Ooh. you know you have much more autonomy about what modules yeah. you can do so oh, yeah, I was yeah. doing more interesting things like um American literature and feminist literature and post-colonial literature and all these things that made me think actually this is making me interested in social things and in kind of topics that relate to journalism and that side of things and obviously my parents both being journalists that had always sort of been in in my head as well as because I grew up around it so I saw my dad doing interesting things and going on interesting trips and writing things and you know I, I grew up around that sort of around his stories yeah. um, and he'd been, a, he'd been in Northern Ireland during the Troubles and he had wow. all of these stories and he used to live with Trevor MacDonald actually <laughs> at, during that time, they were both young, young rookie reporters yeah. in, in Northern Ireland um, so I started when I was at Leeds in the final year I started writing for the Leeds student paper which was a very good student paper yeah. um, and I started doing a kind of um, radio show with my friend Amius and just doing things that involved media yeah. within uni and um, from there I started working with a couple of friends who had their own magazine and I, they, their plan was to go because he was American was to go back to America and they said, would you like to sort of take the magazine over for us? Oh, wow. When, but they, they ended up not going back, but I kind of ended up coming on board this sure. this magazine that they'd created, which was just essentially a self-published zine, and it was called Zine. Um, and it was all about kind of art and culture and yeah. music in Leeds. And then off the back of that, I got a job on the Leeds Guide, which was yeah, yeah. a local magazine. Yeah. Um, and I, it still exists, I think. No, it went it under gone, a few okay. years ago, but it, it existed for a long time. Yeah, it did I very well. It. it was a kind of timeout style. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, Leeds is too small for a timeout, really. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, was, it was really fantastic because I went straight, basically straight from uni into that job. And um, although I had a job in between that was, um, that was 
not that, but I basically... What you consider your first proper... My first proper job. Yeah, not which, working at a shop. No, <laughs> um, although I did a lot of work yeah. at shops. I worked at, on Body Shop, Body Shopping on Brigitte. On Brigitte, yeah, yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so I went into that job, and I was deputy editor there, yeah. and it was a very young team. So it was it was a lot of young, sort of good people, yeah. all working together. And my editor and my editor in chief were amazing, and we all had a really good time. But we all worked incredibly hard yeah. for, for absolutely no money. Of course, no money. You know, and still no money in food. <laughs> still no money, and like it was, yeah, it was, it was really. But I mean, it was really kind of you know only just scraping by. Yeah, but was that actually about? Food? at that point or was that just kind of so, like leads so, and culture in yeah so it was general lead stuff and then um, they, they had restaurant reviews in the magazine and they had a lot of food content and my editor basically saw that I was obsessed with food and yeah. was like do you want to write some restaurant reviews and I was right. like yes please and there was they always used to joke because there was like crumbs around my desk and my filing cabinet had mustard and balsamic and <laughs> oat cakes in it and absolutely no filing just yeah. just you know just food, just food and condiments and I'd always make this big ceremony around lunch and so he was like basically you need to just write about food and be it stop stop irritating me so he got me writing about yeah. food and then um they used to do the restaurant awards there every year yeah. and um he made me a judge for that so I became nice. more uh, sort of I got more and more into the food writing there how did you make the move from there down to London then so after working there for two and a half years, I basically realised that there was nowhere for me to go in terms of my career because my I was deputy editor. Yeah. I already already like edited my own offshoots of the magazine, so I had like my own titles, like a, an arts magazine um, uh, sponsored by the Arts Council and all of this stuff that I was doing, and I'd sort of been doing it for a while, and I was like, where can I go from here? Yeah. My editor isn't going to leave. Um, and you know I've got nowhere to go so I needed to move and London was the the sort of place really the the only place that I thought I could kind of do that I think probably at the time even now probably London's probably the only city that has um, enough work for you know a food writer especially a magazine food writer because that's where everybody's based I guess totally and and at this point I wasn't even thinking just food writing Mm. I I knew that was a side of it that I loved but I I thought I'll just get any job in journalism and just try and make it you know as a journalist and then start to specialize um and then so I got this job on um really lucky actually on cater and hotel keeper which is a week weekly industry industry food uh, so not just food, but it's hospitality, yeah. restaurants, pubs, and it's the Bible basically yeah. for the industry, and it's been going forever. A long um, time. I managed to get a job um, as deputy features editor on there for um, a maternity cover contract, so for five months, and I came down, and and that was where it sort of all started for me in terms of knowing that yeah. this was the area that I definitely wanted to continue in because. I was exposed to all this incredible food, so I I went on I went to Le Manoir to do you know to go and see what was happening in the yeah. pastry kitchen, and I suddenly well, my first job really because yeah, I did a stage there when I was twenty four. I got an email from Raymond Bonk saying, "Hi, why don't you come and spend two weeks in our kitchen?" Wow, I was like, okay, incredible, <laughs> the scariest thing I've ever done, but also the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, it incredible. It's an amazing pastry kitchen. Like they yeah. have so they have a kitchen just for breaking down meat. Was it Benoit? Yeah, Blin? It was with Benoit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a. I think he's the stereotype of a French pastry chef. Yeah. He's intimidating. He shouts, but he's actually a very nice guy. 
and he does it because you're doing something wrong so yeah. you learn a lot from him yeah um, and I think he's actually a big softy but it just kind of that's the impression you get of him and I was only there for two weeks so it scares yeah scared very easily so so yeah I, I like I was basically going into these places and I'd never gone to a Michelin styled restaurant I didn't even know about yeah. them you know we, we didn't we weren't fancy when I was growing up we'd go to like you know nice rustic yeah. places and um, to suddenly know about this world of Michelin and it was 2008 so it was at this point where there were chefs who were British chefs who were starting to change things and but it was still very fine dining it was yes. really very Ramsey very Marcus Waring yeah slightly old school old like, school yeah. um, you know Noma was just being talked about and yeah. it, it was an exciting and interesting time and I found myself exposed to this world of, of food and um, restaurant industry and I really because I'd never worked in a kitchen I'd always been front of house growing up I had job a job in a restaurant but I was a front of house sure. waitress um, and barmaid so to see behind the scenes and be in the kitchens and just like write about it for the industry as well yeah. so you really got an even more kind of in-depth look at it because yeah, you're writing it's not fluff for, pieces for chefs you know. yeah exactly it's not for the public yeah who don't necessarily want to see the entire behind the scenes it's no. for people who know what the behind who know the what it is, is. So, yeah. so it was this whole language and world and everything that I that I found absolutely fascinating and um yeah totally kind of baptism of fire and and kind of yeah completely enthused me yeah and then that came to an end when the woman I was covering for came back from maternity leave and it was 2008 so there were recruitment freezes everywhere, everywhere. there were no jobs yeah. and I was basically out on my ear so I sort of sought the advice of um, my editor at the time and various different freelance journalists that I knew and they all said the same thing they were like you should specialize and you should um, you know, you should just kind of try and make a make a um, niche for yeah. yourself, which I was thinking fab because this is what I love. This yeah. is actually what I really love doing. Um, anyway, so I, I still wasn't a hundred percent sure that I saw myself working on a magazine or a newspaper full time, but I, I knew that I was loving this world of food and that I was so inspired by it mm. so I started um, just freelance writing and knocking on an awful lot of doors and phoning and emailing and emailing again and <laughs> yeah. you know just lots of emailing lots and lots I mean it seems like a lifetime ago now but it, it was it was a real slog to get to a point where I was getting stuff published on the Guardian Word of Mouth blog yeah. and um, you know in, and then in consumer magazines and Caterer you know had me in for shifts and were very supportive nice. and um, yeah, I really sort of owe a lot to that early time mm. and to them kind of, you know, letting me write things and writing features and yeah. all of that stuff. And So as well as food writing... Food writing? Food writing. I'm not sure what that is, but as well as food, <laughs> food writing, writing, you also... Uh, food style. Yes. So how did you get into that? Because I think... I mean, I have food style and I get so many questions from people on Twitter and mm. email saying, how do you get into food styling? Yeah, I get I get a lot yeah. of emails from people who who want to get. It into seems to be it. the new de rigueur kind of yeah. fashionable job. It's the new food writing. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> definitely. Um, it pays a lot less. It, it people should know that it's not glamorous. No, it's hard. I did know. a food styling job yesterday, and I didn't get home till half nine, and wow. then you have to pack unpack yep. everything that's and the worst bit it's the worst bit because yep. you're tired mm -hmm. and I've been on set, on set since 8.30 yeah. 
Um, so, and I had to travel three hours in total because wow. it was in Acton. Every time I get Acton. a brief and it's in Acton or it's in deepest, darkest southwest London. Something like, dies oh. inside. But can I not shoot in East London? Mm. I'm shooting with my favourite photographer on Monday uh, for uh, a magazine and it's just down the road. I'm yeah. Like, Saying that, we'll travel uh, anywhere yeah, we'll travel for food anywhere. styling yeah. jobs. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, so I basically... Um, the writing is wonderful, but it's very isolating, and yeah, I'm not very good at sitting on my own. And although I do do it, and I do enjoy it, and it's a discipline, and it's something that is hugely fulfilling once you've done it. The actual process is painful as hell, yeah. and it can drive you insane. Oh yes. So a while, like a few, probably about four years ago, I started thinking, what, how can I slightly change my job yeah. because it. It, this is very I don't just want to sit in a room I'm in my 20s I don't just want to sit in a room on my own <laughs> you know sort of going mad um, so another job which I discovered um, which was in food is food styling and that sort of chimed in with all the cooking I was doing and the recipe writing and you know someone makes the food that is in the pictures and in the films and when I realised that that was a job because Helen Cathcart told yeah. me um I was like, wow, that's something I would love to do. And having always loved art and visual and photography. Sorry, there's my, that, that's my Bags little bag of handmade pottery. Um, <laughs> I've always loved the visual side of things. So yeah. it totally appealed to me. Um, and that's when I started looking into doing it. And um, I that was part of doing the cookery course as well, because I sought advice about getting into it. And the resounding answer was, you, you need to train. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I trained to do it and now I'm, and now I'm doing it and I've been doing it probably for about four years and it's very interesting. Yeah, I love it. Sometimes it's awful. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes everything goes wrong. You, and also sometimes you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm, my job is to make, <laughs> yeah. uh, a fish finger sandwich all day. That fish finger sandwich looked great, though. It, yeah. Yeah. But you do sometimes feel like, wow, this is this ridiculous. Is, like, what is this? When someone's yeah. just asking you to just tease that rocket leaf yeah. slightly to the right. I remember I spent twenty minutes on a cover shoot for Good Food, and we were making this beautiful chocolate and passion fruit cake. Mm. Me and the photographer spent 15, 20 minutes talking about where we should place passion fruit pips. Mm. I mean, it is ridiculous, mm, it but is. I think it's a very creative space. Mm -hmm. And for me, I have the same thing with you where I can't do, I couldn't be a food writer the entire time. Mm -hmm. I would go insane. Yeah. I love writing and I love that part of my job, but I like it because the rest of the time I'm with amazing, creative, people. you know, beautiful people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I couldn't do it on its own. That's it. And and working in a team on set with yeah. people is so lovely and for sure. And so much more me. And yeah. so that that really, it, I'm so pleased I did that. And yeah. um, and it is. It's tough though. Like I think people see beautiful photos of food and they think it's all you know very romantic and glamorous yeah. and lovely. And it it's tough work. It's yeah. It's sleeves rolled up, getting there. You know, tw twelve hour days yeah. and. You know, very often you're 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 the last one. You're the first one there and the last one to leave because yes. you have all the clearing to do. And but saying that, it is a joyful thing to do. So I'm I'm very pleased that I'm doing it. And I think food styling's changed a lot. It used to be about making everything look almost artificial and mashed so, potato for ice cream, so perfect yeah. and 
Um, and I think in advertising that still applies to certain products. Certain products, yeah. But my style is much looser and much more about the beauty, the beauty yeah. that I see in food. You mean you've never um, tanned a turkey with varnish? No. no and you've never wafted a cigarette put a, behind it put to make a it look tampon like it's in it to make it oh, steam. No. Oh, see, see, the one I've heard for steaming is you uh, sit behind set with a cigarette. And you just waft it so it like uh, smoke comes off it so it looks like it's fresh from the oven. I do that as a matter of course, darling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think people have a very odd perception of what food styling is. Yeah. And I don't think you really understand it until you've actually done it. And I, my advice when people ask me is, go and work for free. Yeah. Know, if you want to be a food stylist, go and assist for a day. Yeah. Because you might hate it. Yeah. Because there's a lot of slob work. Yeah. You know, my assistants generally are washing up yeah. or running back and forth. You know, so it's much hard. washing up, yeah. so much shopping. I basically damaged my rib cage last week because I was carrying about five kilograms of shopping on my body because I had to go and get ingredients and I didn't take, I didn't have a car or anything. And I just, when I, once I bought them all, I had so much to carry and I was like getting the tube with all these bags and carrying it. And Londoners must have loved you that day. Yeah, it was, it was not a pretty sight. Um, so it is, it is um, you know, it's very, very physical and it can be very stressful because mm-hmm. you're not just making something that tastes delicious. It has to look perfect. It has to be the or most perfect, perfect. It has to be the best version of this that it could possibly yeah. be. So it, that's quite a lot of pressure when there's a whole room of people waiting on you to create this thing that is, you know, it's, yeah. it's stressful. But I do think it's very satisfying though because I think... Yes, I get some satisfaction and a lot of satisfaction from seeing my recipes in print, but then seeing the finished product and knowing I made that, you know, because yeah. I, I style for other people, but I also style for my own stuff. Mm. And I like it when I see that's me, everything yeah. that is me. And I think yeah. there's something very satisfying about seeing your work on a page. All right, you control freak. <laughs> Why well, I'm a baker. <laughs> no, completely agree. I, I don't, no, I'm the same like with the, the recipes I do for Good Food magazine. Yeah. I do the styling for those and Helen shoots it and that's the most ideal setup because then you really do feel, it's yeah. very authentic because it's your, you've yeah, cooked it. you see and, it from start to finish. And I have I to say, the thing that I loved that you did recently for Good Food, I should say we both work for Good Food magazine, so um, yeah. Um, but the thing you did, uh, we were doing a festival together up in Birmingham mm. And you made a chicken katsu burger, yeah. a bun thing, yeah. and it did the cover of the magazine. Yeah. And I love the magazine, and I cook from it a lot, but that was the first thing I've seen in a while where I went, oh, I need to cook that very soon. I haven't cooked it yet. Oh. But it's on my list because it looked delicious. Thank you. It's, a, it's fried chicken. You can't really yeah, go no, wrong, no. can you? A bit <laughs> of fried chicken and curry sauce. Yeah. It's hard to hard. I mean, that, to me, also felt quite northern. But um, katsu curry sauce always seems normal to me because we put it on chips. It's and basically it, the same thing. It doesn't, um, when it's authentic, it doesn't have curry powder in it. But my no, one I does that, because yeah. I... think I, ones do. <laughs> hello, wagamama katsu curry with a curry I've never curry had spices. wagamama. so good. Which is weird because most people Even first, in Leeds. When well, wagamama opened in Leeds. I don't think we Leeds, had wagamama when I lived there. Oh, I think were, I'd moved out of town before. That was the main place that I went in Leeds, like wagamama. Is it still there? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I haven't been back to Leeds for... Five years. So. <laughs> <laughs> you lived it that much. In the leads that exists in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The leads has changed a lot since then. Yeah, I can imagine. I guess for the better. I um, want to go back, but it's one of those weird ones. A lot, a lot happened to me while my father died when just before I graduated from university, mm. 
and um, so I was up there during a very sort of very difficult time difficult sure. time because I decided to stay in Leeds and um, you know try and get a job and that's when I got the job on the magazine but so it's very it was such a weird time for yeah. me like mentally it, sure. was, it was very very weird because it was a very sudden um, it was a big shock so yeah it's, to go back there will drag up a lot of emotion sure. but I think there is a there's a case to be stated for going back and doing a food tour and seeing how the it's moved on. The food has got so much better. And also I think there's a very young food culture there. Mm. So a lot of the people that I know there that are doing amazing things are very young, small independent businesses of their own because they've gone, I want to make something. So there's an amazing bakery called Noisette Bakehouse and she's <laughs> this 23, 24 year old girl and she has this little van and the baking she does is incredible. Oh, wow. And um, there's great coffee there in the city now, which when I lived there, you couldn't get a no. co- coffee to save your life. No. Um, and it's just a very kind of burgeoning food scene that I really like. Great beer there now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there was always really good beer at the Reliance, I remember. Yeah, the Reliance was fun. Reliance was good. Um, that was right next to my office. <laughs> nice they place had good office. food. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and no, I think it's a very, it will become a very, very good food city and it's getting there for sure. Have to go back then, won't I? Definitely. So you, you um, I read in the book yesterday um, that for a while you lived in Vancouver. Yeah. When did that come in? Because oh. Vancouver is one of, I think it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And I think it's an incredible food city. Food was amazing yeah. there. Yeah. So basically, I, um, that happened because uh, once I had sort of carved out a food writing thing for myself, and, and the more and more I did it, I kind of... Um, I decided that I wanted to, to inform my writing, I needed to learn to cook properly. And although I'd cooked all my life, yeah. I wanted to formally train and get some, you know, just get it down. So I started cooking, teaching myself from cookbooks. Yeah. Um, and then I went on a course and I did like a month intensive uh, resident, re- residential course um, at a cookie school called The Gables in Gloucester. Um, and just kind of got all the basics down. And um, But I'd also started food styling. Um, so I'd started working with a photographer, Helen, and doing like shoots with her because she... she... So it's Helen who you've worked with for a long time now. Yeah. So Helen shot both of Hel- your books. Helen shot the books, yeah. yeah. Well, the East London food book is, is a, co- is a co- yeah. uh, collaboration. But yeah, so I'd already started sort of doing food styling. Um, and then... I and I had my blog where I was doing a lot of cooking and writing, and which is where the name of the book comes from. Which is where the name of the book came comes from. Although the blog is very neglected, and I, <laughs> and I feel a bit bad about the it's blog because you're trying to actually make money from your writing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I I basically ended up um, getting my book deal um, and and having that opportunity to write a cookbook, um, and I literally met Jamie just as that happened so I met my partner at a New Year's Eve party and he told me on the night that he was moving to Canada and I was like oh that's annoying because you're really (laughs) nice and then we so I immediately was like oh well that's you know that's not gonna happen but then we basically started seeing each other and it emerged very quickly that we were that we were falling in love and that we were sort of each other's, what each other had been waiting for, yeah. and, and, you know, we... So how long did you know each other before you moved to so, Canada with him? So basically not very long. So I met him in January, and he moved, he moved to Canada at the end of February. 
And then... <laughs> and you moved with him at the same time? No, no. So he went and then I basically hung out in London and I think it was the end of February or maybe it was beginning of March. Yeah, March went. sounds slightly better. Yeah, I think maybe it was March. <laughs> but um, so he went out there and then I basically... It was his birthday in May and he was turning 30. And we'd had this whole thing of like you know, he'd actually sort of felt slightly sad about going in the end. Yeah. And it was really quite stressful and traumatic because he was like, I don't want to leave now because I've met Aww. you. Um, but he went anyway. I was like, you have to go. Um, and obviously he wanted to go and he'd set everything up. So he went and um, I said to him, look, you can't turn 30 on your own in Vancouver. I'll come out and, yeah. you know, come and help you celebrate. So I managed to set up all of this stuff through work to do some like basically some stories yeah. there so I could take him on this amazing trip for his birthday nice. and take him to Vancouver Island and Love Vancouver Island. which is amazing very quaint little island so I went out there for two weeks in May and you know we had this amazing time yeah. and then I came back and basically said look why don't I just you, you know he said I can't remember who said but we basically agreed that yeah. I should just come because I could, I didn't, I wasn't tied to a job. Yeah. I could do my work from anywhere. I also had the book deal, which at the time made me think that I couldn't do it. And yes. I, cause I was like, Oh no, I can't come because I've got this cookbook to write. And then I was like, actually, write that anyway. what a brilliant yeah. excuse to actually get stuck into my book. Yeah. So no um, distractions, no distractions, other than Jamie. no job, yeah. like no, no, none of the social engagements or anything that, you have here that, that that I have to go to a lot for work and so I basically went out there in um oh gosh I have such a bad memory but I think it was July late July and I and I finally went out there and um and then lived out there with him for three months and in that time wrote a lot of the book was that Jane London or was that uh, a lot, a lot on her plate wow. yeah so I'd already done Jane London before um before that and yeah, it was brilliant because I had time to test recipes yeah. and the food, like you oh, said, in Vancouver the is, produce is amazing. absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I find the city incredible because it's such a, a cr clash of people yeah. because of its position in the, in the world. You have so many different cultures. Huge, and the huge food Asian reflects. diasporas. Yeah. Like so much amazing Japanese and Chinese food. Yeah. Um, incredible produce. All the produce coming from the Okanagan Valley, yeah. which is an amazing fruit growing region. All the wine from there. Um, fantastic produce from California and Oregon. And so, like, you know, Canada as well. Just so much stuff and very, very seasonal. And very all these seasonal. farmers markets yeah. where you go and buy the most beautiful, well grown produce. So it was hugely inspiring. And also the restaurant, I was reporting on the restaurant scene there for Jamie Oliver magazine and um, writing various different pieces for Condé Nast Traveller and, and other different titles about the food and going to these restaurants. And they were amazing. And yeah. I still think that Canada and North America, for me, are such brilliantly influential and, and yeah. inspiring places to eat oh, completely they I just think... do things that are so different from I think what we do less um bound by rules yes i think because they don't have uh, obviously they have history but because they don't feel bound by that history the classical I think we dogma do, yeah yeah i think they're a little bit more sometimes not always a little bit more adventurous i completely agree yeah. and obviously we're very lucky to have that you know the, the classics and to be sitting oh, in france and stuff but but they just don't 
they don't think twice about putting a couple of things on the plate together. And sweet potato. You know, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. always work. <laughs> it, it, it's no, but they they sort of don't have the same yeah. restrictions, and and but they find ways to make things work that are delicious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's just really great, and I and I and yeah, actually, while I was there, I worked in a uh, well, I did a stage in a um, bakery called Thierry, which was this chocolatier and macaron and just amazing bakery. Um, and it was all behind a glass screen. So, so you were on view all the time. Yeah, although I was around the corner. Um, Keep the stages out <laughs> of sight. Yeah, I um, don't want to embarrass anyone. But yeah, so it was just, there were, I could do things like that because I had time yeah. to, to go and take that time out. And, yeah, definitely. Um, and it was brilliant. And I cycled everywhere. Um, seafood was so yeah. cheap. So you, things like dairy and meat were ridiculously expensive. expensive. But seafood and big bags of mussels yeah. um, were so, so cheap, like four bucks or something. I remember it was the first time I ever had oysters was when I went, <sighs> when I was 18 uh, to Vancouver. I had family in Vancouver yeah. and I had uh, deep fried oysters. Uh, I loved them, made my brother very sick. Oh no, really? <laughs> he still hates oysters now. And uh, it was the first time I had, uh, I think it was the first time I ever had a whole salmon. We had these beautiful sockeye salmons, oh, which are just sockeye, incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I was a very picky kid. And my mum came up to me and went, if you don't like it, pretend you like it, because this is family. I was <laughs> like, oh, it's delicious. I actually loved it. Yeah. Um, it's still the only time I've ever liked salmon. Salmon's yeah. one of the few things I just can't eat. Right, okay. Um, but oh, I love Vancouver for its very presence. special. Yeah. yeah, very, very. Yeah, so it was, it was fantastic, because I was, um, you know, doing writing about the scene there and also writing my own book while I was there. Um, so an incredibly creative yeah, time. Definitely. And then we went off traveling around. Um, we went to Portland and Seattle and Nashville. All and the places. All these amazing <laughs> food scenes. And then yeah. to Mexico. Oh, wow. And Montreal. So it was a real amazing epic trip. Yeah, and that a sounds fantastic a very way to amazing time. When you're, when you're in love as well. Yeah, um, especially in the early days. In the it's early romantic days. romantic and amazing. Yeah, so um, To me, you've always come across as someone who's very keen on everything local. Mm. And, uh, I mean, we're effectively neighbours. We live in the same mm-hmm. postcode. And um, you've just written a book on East London food. Yes. Um, where does that kind of passion come from? Um, I think, basically, knowing, knowing what I know about the food system and the the way stuff works and kind of wanting to support wanting to support people who are doing things locally and doing things mm. right and obviously it's not always possible That's at possible, all yeah. um but if at all possible i i do try and do that because it's nice to know the people that are making things yeah. and um you know like there's so much going on here it's such a creative zone yeah. And especially for food, but for everything, you know, whether it's fashion. I mean, I've got my wedding dress from a local designer. Nice. I, like, I, I want to support people who are in the area doing yeah. things because it just feels... It's not it's not about being pious, but it just feels like a. it makes sense. Yeah. It feels it's like local... the right thing to do. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. It's very, very nice to support people who are around you because I think for me... We see these businesses closing all the time because people don't yeah. support them. And I, you know, I've worked for supermarkets, um, but for me, when you see all these huge businesses just encroaching and this world becomes more bland, it's yeah. the most dull thing in the world. So I desperately try and support people. Definitely, I, I do because I think that's what, you know, that's what makes areas 
what they are yeah. and it, it one day it will I sadly do think that one day it will be just everywhere will be completely mm. homogenized and the same and the power will be completely in the hands of these massive corporations because yeah. people won't be able to compete and they won't be able to own or, or rent spaces in prime areas and I just think that that's really really sad and definitely I think if we didn't have I mean a, if you didn't have small uh, kind of green grocers if you if you had to buy all of your fruit and veg from the supermarket more than a half of our produce would die out you know yeah. you wouldn't be able to buy blood oranges no. you wouldn't be able to f- buy half of the things that we love because supermarkets just don't see a need for them and it's all the it's all the packaging and all the waste yeah. like I, if I go to the green grocer and there's an amazing I don't know if you've been to fresh and fruity yes but it's so good. Yeah. I can just go and load my basket up with stuff and I don't put anything in bags. And although it yeah. bugs the people on the checkout <laughs> and they're like, this is no way to shop. I'm like, no, this is how I want to shop because I yeah. don't want all this plastic. I don't want all this waste all the time, packaging, packaging, packaging. And saying that, you know, I'm a food stylist and I sometimes have to get ingredients within, yeah. you know, no time at all. And I don't have time to go handpicking everything. And Ocado is an amazing facility yeah. to have. And I'm sure that if you're a busy mother or father with three kids and yeah. you don't have time, it's absolutely the same thing. So I would never bang a drum and be like, you no. must do this. But just for me personally, um, if I can get something from fresh and fruity, I mean, obviously the produce isn't from the local area necessarily, <laughs> Um, but they're a small... It's often from smaller farmers. And, yeah, and it's yeah. independent, and I can see that it's coming from Kent or Norfolk or wherever, um, and I can choose what I want. And so it's it just feels like something that's nice to do. And, yeah. Um, but I think on the, same, on the same note, I think you're also... Uh, you know, we're both not really big fans of the clean eating, and but I also think you're not the person who would lecture about anything... No. So, you know, you yes, you think it's better to go local, but also you would say the same thing I think I would, that you wouldn't lecture someone no. on that because that's not always available or... Oh, exactly. You know. And I completely... I know that the reason that I feel like this and behave like this is because I'm privileged yes. and I, I'm privileged to have this knowledge. I grew up picking my own fruit yeah. at the farm around the corner from me in Kent. Like yeah. that's... And, and in my own garden. Like that's because I'm privileged to be in this position. So I would never tell someone that that's what they have to do at all. It's just the way that I think makes mm. sense. And and I know that I'm lucky to even, con- to have this as a, it's a luxury to even be able to consider these things. Of course. But if I'm in a position where I can influence people to think more, and I think that's what I put in, in a lot on her plate is, I'm not trying to lecture you, but if you can think a bit more about the whole thing really, because the food is so much more than, delicious things on a plate and the, and beautiful photos mm. it's the food system is massive and there is a lot going wrong with it and it's it's an incredibly complex thing and if you can just try and think about the backstory to, you know if you're going to a supermarket and you're buying a piece of meat for for one pound fifty why is it one pound imagine mm. just imagine the backstory to that like who has grown that not grown the meat but who's grown the animal how's the animal been reared where's it come from how is it that cheap how has it been able to be produced in that way i think it should scare people when they see something and it's insanely cheap Mm. there there should be a trigger in your head that goes i mean there is for me and it goes why Mm. i shouldn't buy that because 
that can't be that cheap. It, you know, there's no way that's been produced that cheaply. So either yeah. someone, most likely a farmer, is being screwed over. Yeah. Or it's been done in a way that's not very nice for the animal and therefore for the planet. So yeah. Um, but I think that goes through your book as well. I think um, th- I think there's a mix of ingredients. There's not uh, it's not meat, 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 meat the whole time. There's a nice mix of you know vegetables and meat, but also price level. Mm. Um, I know that's something you put in the book where um, you say that cooking doesn't have to be expensive. No. And it definitely seems like a book where there is definitely a message. But it isn't, you know, pushed down your throat and it's a very approachable way of doing it. I hope so, because I think I, I think that basically knowledge is power. Yeah. So for me, if you can cook and if you if you know a few things um, about flavour and about balancing flavour and about the, the pleasure of texture and temperature and all of those things and making things look appealing, you can do so much with so little. And that's what I do a lot of the time. You know, you can take parsley and make it into a green risotto that's costing no money at all and it's delicious and it's nutritious and it's fun and and beautiful and there's so much you can do if you you know with humble produce if you just know how if you just know how to cook something and how to balance the flavor and how to you know how to cook the ingredients properly individually and put them together in a way that works in the in the in the palette and that is that's the message really is just like think a little bit more and take products that you can use that that are the best they can be because they're seasonal um, and cook them in a way that enhances them and that's really the whole thing and to be honest with you more and more I start to feel worse and worse about eating meat and yeah I saw your thing earlier this morning that you shared about um, the article about becoming a vegan the arguments for that Mm. and they make total sense and i i am taking this all on board and i think that probably one day i will go vegetarian if not vegan um i think it's a very easy argument to understand because we know we eat too much meat mm -hmm. we know that eating too much meat is not good for the planet um, and it's not good for us. You no. know? I've always been one of those people where I think moderation is the best thing you can do. Yeah. Um, including diets, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think you know you have to be aware of you know the world around you for sure. You do, and the and the environment and the impact on the environment. Um, but at the other side of that, I've also you know do go to visit farmers, and I see the flip side of really yeah. really good husbandry and great butchery yeah. and all of that stuff and. The jobs that that provides and the tradition and the, um, the the enrichment to the food culture and all of that stuff so it's really about balancing it out in your head and my thing is that I just want to try and have as little an impact as possible which is why I'm loving all of the wild stuff at the moment and stuff that I can pick that yeah. grows locally yeah. that's you know that's not hurting anyone nope. no not at all. It just <laughs> grows there so we we'll use it yeah. yeah but obviously that's a ridiculously niche you know most people <laughs> don't live on the Hackney Marsh yeah. and can't just walk out and find these things growing yeah. Um, but yeah it's all kind of it's so deeply complex and political that there is this is what you find out when you start thinking about food and reading around it there is so many implications of everything um so well i think we've uh i think we've exhausted our slightly heavy conversation now so we're going to go to something slightly more um 
upbeat, we're mm-hmm. going to go to our shopping list. Mm-hmm. So this is a quick fire round. Yeah. And um, you're basically picking between two things. You can expand or you can just answer which one you prefer. Okay. okay? So breakfast or dinner? Dinner. Okay. Was it and breakfast? Really? Steak or salad? <laughs> I put that in there all because of the... Salad, yeah. probably, because you can put so many things in a salad. You put steak in a salad. You know, you could put steak <laughs> in a salad. But salad, there's, yeah, there's so much you can get in there. Yeah. And, and it's, more, it's more fun. And I'm much more likely to have the stuff for a salad. Sure. Or to be able to find the stuff for a salad. London or Kent? Oh. Or Leeds. I'm, or Vancouver. I'm both. I'm all of these things. Um... <laughs> Oh, golly, that's tough. I, I mean, have to be London, okay. but, but London by way of Kent. <laughs> is, that, is that cheating? No, that's fine. You can cheat. It's fine. There's no rules. Chocolate or avocado? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Ed, don't make me choose. Uh, chocolate. Okay, good, good. Correct answer. Tea or coffee? <laughs> See, okay. I, we are I'm drinking gonna have, Yorkshire tea I'm going to have to explain. I drink six or seven cups of tea and yeah. one cup of coffee yeah, but I need both those things <laughs> in those exact that quantities perfectly acceptable answer crumble or pie pie see I think that's partly to do with where you're from because I think uh, southerners generally are more pie where I think northerners that crumble comfort thing mm, I just love pastry I do, Although, but I, the crunchy I, crumble topping is just. I oh, did a pastry heaven. food styling job the other day, and it was real bitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a nightmare. Maybe yeah. I'm thinking crumble. Crumble's after. very easy <laughs> to food style. Um, but especially on the hottest day of the year when it was melting oh, through my fingers and yeah, off I, the rim of the baking dish. But um, definitely <sighs> pie. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I, I like pie. I think it's more versatile. I, love I think pie. you can do much. Um, red or white wine? Or rosy, I guess. Or orange. orange. Yeah. To be, to be a real hipster. food snob. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I only discovered orange wine recently and I kind of love it. I'm actually a beer girl. Really? Okay, mm. what sort of beer? Anything that's... Anything. An, no, not anything, but anything that's basically a, a crafty pale ale. Okay, fair enough. I love... Um, I, this is Vancouver as yeah. well. Just oh, for sure. Got Big beer totally city. into it there. Yeah. Came back and all these amazing breweries are happening here. Yeah. Um, like everything just follows North America. I think, yeah, there's things that North America, uh, we definitely follow. And I think, I hope, I'd like to think there's things that they follow us, but the yeah. big trends definitely seem definitely. to like. Definitely. All that craft thing. Oh, Even in beer, in chocolate. Hoppy, yeah. pale. Yeah, I just, I can drink beer so much and I love it. Whereas wine... I have, I'm not gonna lie, I'm, <laughs> I'm drunk after two glasses of wine. Really? Yeah. You see, I it's can't so do. It's so high alcohol. You see, it's weird for me, um, I can't stand beer. Really? I wish I did. I have tried so many, but it just doesn't sit with me very well. But if I drink something like a beer or a cider, it gets me drunk so quickly. Really? Whereas wine or spirits, not at all. Oh, wine, and I'm a nut, nut case, really, honestly. <laughs> but I do like no a nice soft. Reason. Tannic orange yeah. wine. A okay. little bit of skin contact, please. Yeah. Uh, cats or dogs? And that's just because dogs! you have. <laughs> that's literally because you have. I don't know where he's gone. Here he comes. There he is. Because you, you have you an adorable whippet called Cyril, oh, who Cyril. I've fallen in love with, who's now sat next to me. He loves you. Bless him. Um, so, our final section is uh, a little opportunity for you to rant, maybe, or uh, get rid of something that you God, hate. I've so. not just been doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called the recycling bin, mm-hmm. and it's basically my version of Room Runner One. Mm-hmm. So, is there an ingredient you want to get rid of, or a trend that you can't stand? Um, you can also say no if you want um, to be diplomatic. What? Okay, let me have a real think here. 
I should have prepped you beforehand. Uh, an ingredient that I can't stand. I think goji berries are pretty are pretty rank. Yeah, I don't know why you. They would smell really like cat wee. Delicious. They have an awful dry texture. Yeah, very. very I've dry. never had one and thought this is good. I've never had them in addition and thought that's really added something. No, it's and like, they're very expensive. Ew, what's that thing in my dish? <laughs> um, so get rid of those. I think I can Bin agree em. on that. We can get rid of that. We can recycle those. Bin them. All right, well, thank you for joining me today. Is that it? That is it. We've been going for about an hour, so that is our podcast done. <laughs>